Thank you. Boy, I like that young man stuff. That feels good. <laughs> All right, let's put the slides up. Uh, listen, I know we have um, ushers back there that can help. Uh, if you don't have one, if you're sitting there going, I don't have one of these, would you just raise your hand? If you need one, here's one right here. Here's one here. Especially if you're, if you're a, a man who doesn't have one, because I like to see men taking notes. They say to their wives, take it, take it for me, honey. Write it down. I can't write. No, you can write. Yes, you can. All right, anybody else need one? You may want to keep this set of notes for quite a while. Uh, in a place, uh, fold it up, make a list for yourself of the ten truths of change. This is going to be the ten truths of change. We pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is our prayer. Holy Spirit, fill me, baptize me, anoint me, set me on fire, gift me. Holy Spirit, let the river of God, the river of your spirit, flow through me. We read in Daniel that there is a river of fire flowing out from under the throne of the Ancient of Days, and that is the Holy Spirit to burn everything in us that is dead and to set on fire everything in us that needs to light those around us with the presence of God. Amen? So change is what life is about. Let me just give you a big picture and a synopsis of the way you were created and how you were changed. You were created in Genesis 1 and 2 to be a vessel or a container of the Spirit of God. This body, even your soul, your personality, your inner man was created to contain the Spirit of God. And you're dead without that Spirit indwelling you. So people out there that you see in the world who do not have the Holy Spirit living in them, they are not alive, they are the walking dead. There is no life in them. They are existing but they're not alive because the only life in all of the universe is God is life. That's one of the attributes of God, obviously, life. And the only one who can give life is God through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So when you are, uh, as pastor preached a few weeks ago, you repent, you're baptized, and what? You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that makes you alive now and alive for eternity because death has no power over that spirit indwelling you. Now, when that Holy Spirit comes into you, there is only one part of you that he can reside in. And that is in your spirit. There is a human spirit. It's called nephesh. There is a Holy Spirit called Ruach. And the first thing that happens is at right deep inside of you, you were created in the image of God. That word image 
can also mean representation or, or, or container as well. Contains who you are. And so that image of God, that tiny broken area of your inner person, the Holy Spirit comes in there and with fire and water baptizes you and creates within you the holy of holies. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's an outer court, an inner court, and a holy of holies. So the indwelling Holy Spirit comes in, burns a holy place, washes within you a holy of holies with the blood of Christ. So within you, there is now the power to live forever. When you die, that holy of holies in you, that who you are in the Holy Spirit cannot die. You're going to live forever. Now, that Holy Spirit doesn't just go, wow, nice place here. Glad they invited me in. Your permission has been given for access to every part of your soul and body. Now, in a number of places, it's called renewing your mind. Your noose, your mind, when we go to Romans 12, by the renewing of your mind what he wants to do in you. Corinthians talks about you have the mind of Christ. Say, I have the mind of Christ. Now, that is a faith statement and also an actual statement. By faith, the mind of Christ is growing in you, is taking over. That mind of Christ starts out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he's doing. He's going through your soul. Remember, in your soul from which we get the word psyche, psychology, your suke, your soul. That's the Greek word for soul. In your soul, there is dark, wicked terrain. The soil of your soul is unproductive when you are born again. The Holy Spirit wants to get in, you, in your dirt. Say, I'm just dirt. Well, that's what, isn't that what it says in Genesis? He took dirt, made you. So we start off dirt. The terrain of your soul is dirt. But the Holy Spirit has seed for which to bear fruit and water for which you to grow. Right? And he's going through your soul and he's looking at three things. Your soul has three components. There's a lot of threes in the Bible, by the way, starting with the Trinity. Your mind is in your soul. Your mind, which is your thought or your cognitive life. Your feelings or affective life, your emotions. And finally, there is the will or the power to act, which is the patterns of behaviors that you have developed since you were in the womb. So you have all of this buried in your subconscious, and here's what's happened. The soil of your soul is your subconscious, because your conscious is just right now. But all the dirt is in your subconscious. 
And the Holy Spirit is getting into your subconscious and he is re-scripting your thoughts. He is reforming and transforming your emotions. And he is giving you the power to act differently. James 4, 17. To him or her who knows what is good and doesn't do it, it is sin. Now, how many of you, with every decision that you make in life as a Christian, would say, well, I know what's good. I know what the right is. Any, any just stupid, ignorant people in here? So, no, come on, raise your hand. I know what is good. I, I, you know, a few people are still just sort of hesitant. You do know what's good. You haven't sat here. You haven't been here. In fact, the Holy Spirit has been teaching what you what's good ever since he started indwelling you. Now, you may not have been listening. You're not stupid. You're just deaf. Sometimes we're just deaf, right? Yeah, I, I know what God told me to do. Uh, thank you very much. I'm going to go my own way. Really? So the Holy Spirit now is giving you the power to change dirt into a tree of righteousness and bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's what's happening in your soul. He's changing dirt and bringing it to life so that you think right, you feel right, and you do what's right. Some people say, I can't help feeling that way. Really? Every feeling is a choice. Most feelings are a choice you made years ago and refused to change. Because feelings are reactions or responses to what happens around us that get embedded into our subconscious. So the next time something similar is said or done to us, we have a knee-kick reaction from our subconscious called a feeling. So your feelings were created by your parents or the way you were raised or your significant others or the people around you. They acted a certain way, said a certain thing, and in your gut, in your subconscious, you had a visceral response and somebody told you, that's hate. That's love. And you learn to name the feeling that was the pain or the hurt or the joy or the happiness that came out. Are we okay so far? Here's an irrational belief that is a lie from hell. I can't change the way I feel. They're embedded. They're instinctual. No, they're not. They're learned. Every thought is learned. Every feeling is learned. Every action and behavior is learned. And from the beginning, the first one is there's no God. Boom. Oh, there is God. I'm now converted. I'm now changed. No, you're just plugged in. You have the power to change. Everybody here say, I have the power to change. 
Now, let's go. Let's walk in it. That's just the introduction, okay? That was for free. Now, this is going to cost you. All right, here we go. Let's go to the next slide, I hope. And if not, we'll go to the sheet. I've got the slide frozen. It doesn't want to change. <laughs> All right, look at your sheets then. Two verses, Isaiah and Ezekiel. All right, Isaiah and Ezekiel. First verse, God declares, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Now, remember in the Old Testament, the word for heart is the word lev. It doesn't just mean you're pumping organ. It means that this new heart is your inner person. Your outer person is your basar, your flesh. Your inner person is your heart. Everything inside you, your inner person, is your heart. Because Hebrew only has outside, inside. In Greek, your body, soul, and spirit. But when he's talking to you about your heart, your new heart is your entire inner person. Now is new. Now, what you need to realize, it, is, it, it has the potential and the power to be new. You know, you didn't instantly start not lying. You didn't instantly stop sinning. But this new heart within you that beats with the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is now within you, and you have the power to change every feeling, change every thought, change every behavioral pattern if you would just pause and not act instantly out of your subconscious and think about what you were doing. Our son, actually both of them, got in car wrecks because they were doing things with their vehicles that vehicles were not created to do. And so I would say to them, what were you thinking? And they would look at me as if I'd ask a question that had an obvious answer. Well, Dad, we weren't thinking. We were just reacting. We were just doing what we wanted to do. We felt good about. When you said that, what were you thinking? Out of a heart, the mouth speaks, right? What were you thinking? It's down inside of you. It has to change. Everybody here, put your hand on your heart. Say, I have a new heart. I must change. This is never in your vocabulary from this moment on. I can't change. Really? Never. I can change because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Everybody in here can change. So stop acting like your old self and plug into the power to change. How do we do that? We have it within us. Let's look at Isaiah 43. Here's what God says to you. Do not remember the former things. And this word remember is, you don't forget the past because you need to learn from the past or you're doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past. We know that. Here's the issue. You remember the life lesson that you learned, right? And then you act in a different way so it doesn't happen again. That's called change. 
at that point. So, nor consider the things of old. In other words, don't, before a, a decision, say to yourself, now, my past experience has taught me when you should be saying the word of truth, the Holy Spirit has taught me. Think with a renewed mind before you speak. Think with a new heart before you act. And if it takes you a few seconds to respond, one of my issues with people in my life is that they will say to me, well, what are you thinking? They'll say something to me, and I don't respond. When I don't respond, it's not because I'm not listening. It's because I'm biting my tongue. So I will not say something wrong. And I don't want to say or do something wrong, not because I fear their reaction, because I fear God. There needs to be some more fear of God in this place. All over Proverbs, fear God, fear God, fear God, fear God. Hey, buddy, come over here. You're my best friend now. Just bless what I'm doing. Are you really believing that? We need to live in the fear of God. Not because he wants to punish us, but because he wants to change us. Now, let's go to the next one. We had Ezekiel. We did that one first. Go to the next one. Oh, we got unfrozen here. So I'm going to give you a new heart, and that new heart is going to put, come from his spirit. Now let's go forward. Go past Isaiah. There we go. Kadosh. Uh, the Hebrew word for change is kadosh. Try this some week. Do we have anybody in the church who knows how to bake bread? Sure. Is there an oven back here in this room? I want you to try something some Sunday morning. Start baking bread before anybody comes to church. And leave all the doors open and put a fan right there. And the, 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 the subject of this message is your teaching on communion. And when people walk in here, they will not be able to get their subconscious to stop thinking about fresh bread. <laughs> wow, fresh bread, fresh, fresh bread, fresh bread. We did that one Sunday years ago when we were in Waco, and everybody was, you know, they couldn't wait to get to communion. <laughs> and we made them wait the whole, we had communion at the end of the service. <laughs> And it was the fresh bread. It was the kind where you come up, you know, and, and break off a piece of fresh bread and dip it in a cup. That was how we did uh, communion that Sunday. Why is that? Because God is tired of you using stale bread when he has fresh bread for you just made to give you the fresh strength and the fresh power that you need to do something new. So the, first of all, the word new means fresh. That's what it means in Hebrew, fresh. It also 
speaks of fresh air. Ever walked into a room that had been shut up for a long time and smelled the mold and the dank air? Sure you have. What a yucky, horrible. You know if you keep breathing that air, you will get sick. The fresh wind of God, the fresh air of God, and the fresh water that comes from his spirit empowers you to do something new. Let's see how that happens. Go to the next one. It just doesn't want to obey, does it? There we go. The ten truths about change. You've got them written here. Number one, change means that you, you can do something new. In order to do something new, you have to let go of something old. In other words, the old man has to die, the old habit, the old thought, the old feeling. And when it dies, you can't let it come back again. Do you realize that you have the power and the potential never to feel anger again? Or hate? Or disappointment? Or despair? Or hopelessness? Or depression? And when you do as a Christian, it's because you want to. When you feel guilty as a Christian, it's in the moment you're choosing your guilt over his love and forgiveness in that moment. I feel guilty. I'm all week. I'm going to beat myself up over saying that or doing that. So is that an enjoyable thing? To live in self-condemnation when you could change? Everybody say, I can change. You got to let go of something old. It may be a relationship. It may be an attitude. It may be a habit. But whatever hasn't produced the fruit of the Spirit in your life, let it go. It doesn't work. It's dead. Stop digging up the stinky corpse of your old life. Hello? Go to the next slide. I love this uh, picture, the story uh, from um, Sesame Street. And uh, I think it's Ernie. Isn't it Ernie up here? Yeah, yeah. It's Ernie who wants to play the saxophone. And the wise owl is talking to Ernie. And he can't play the saxophone because he'll never let go of his favorite ducky. And so the owl says, Ernie, you got to let go of the ducky in order to play the saxophone. First time I ever preached anything like this, Judy went out to a store, bought me a little ducky for the tub. And I, I, I think I threw it away by accident, of course, because she would give it to me. Whenever I would refuse to let go of something old, she'd get that ducky out. <laughs> Say, dear, you need to let go of the ducky. It's true. So now on, people will really think you're strange when you come from Lamb of God and you're going around. You know, you need to let go of the ducky. <laughs> Let's go to the next slide. So the first law 
is you got to let go of something old to take hold of something new. You've got to die to that old attitude in order for something new to happen in your life. Okay? Next one. Now, is there, there's a clock in here, right? Where is it? Oh, there it is. I don't even need my glasses to read those big numbers. So um, i got to know where I am because I've got to get to a certain thing that we need to get to. So let's get on with it. Change counts the cost. If you are going to make a change, it will cost you something. Do you realize how comforting an old habit can be? Oh, it's just so comforting to have a glass of, oh, that old southern. Some of you don't know what that is. That's probably a good thing. Comforting. Oh, it's comforting just to sit here and wallow in my misery. Poor victim that I am. Self-pity, self-pity, self-pity. We comfort ourselves by just getting back in the dirt, covering ourselves up and say, just for a moment, I want to have a moment of misery. Why? Don't have to. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Go to the next slide. So this means this. <laughs> when you are about to make a change, it's going to cost you time, money. It may cost you relationships. Change. The third one. Change requires a new, and here's that word again, new. God says, I'm doing a new thing in you, new. Unlike anything you have ever experienced, you may have heard others talk about it. Oh, what a great experience it is to let go of that. And you would go, oh, I wish I could be as inspiring in my life to do that as they are inspiring me to do. Motivational speaking is worthless unless you act upon what you hear. We have lots of great motivational speakers out there. We have the John Maxwells. We have the Zig Ziglers. We have the Joel Osteens. We have all those people. They're saying great stuff. You go, oh, it felt so good. I was so motivated when I heard that. To him who knows what is good and doesn't do it, it is sin. Act upon this. A new perspective, seeing it from God's perspective, not yours. New plans, taking a risk. How many risk takers do we have in here? You know why we don't want to take risk? Well, if you take risk with your bodies and you work out, it hurts. If you take risk with new nutrition, you're eating food that sometimes you don't like. Risk. Risk. That's why they call it comfort food, right? But you got to act. Act upon it. A process in people, the presence-driven life, you can see that sort of floating through this particular law of change where you go all the way from his presence to a process to new productivity and new prosperity in your life. The reason this prosperity teaching movement was wrong 
is because they were teaching it was instant. And that when you really prosper, you've got to die and go through tribulation to get to the fruit. Let's go to the next truth about change. So when we go there, uh, oh, I've got these just quick things to say. Change is, uh, it's, it's not a shift. People are saying, oh, we're experiencing a shift. Get over shift. Shift is going the same direction, just with a little different angle. Metanoia means change of mind or change of direction, repentance. God wants a radical change. If you hold on to anything of the old stuff, it will pollute the new stuff, period. Relief versus re We want relief. How many times, Pastor, do people come to the altar and they come time and time again to pray about relief from something so they feel better instead of repenting and changing? New versus renew. The word renew is dangerous because we could be talking about renewing something old. New has no connection to the old. It's radically different. And liberty versus independence. When you're independent, you're doing your own thing. When you're free in Christ, you're doing his thing. Now we can go to this next law or this next truth. Change demands focus. Is that what you have on your sheets? All right. Change demands focus. We're going to talk about three elements here. Focus, fight, finish. Say focus, fight, finish. The focus verse is Hebrews 12. Let us, 12-2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That demands focus. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, you cannot be distracted. Much of our time when we're trying to accomplish something significant is diverted or used by what we call substitute activity. Staying busy. Being distracted. How much substitute activity do you spend with a distraction instead of staying focused on the goal? Focused on the prize. Fixing on what Christ wants to do in you and through you. So when you're doing something, did God tell you to do it? Did God tell you to say it? Is he your focus? Or is it coming out of that dirt of your subconscious again? Where is your focus? What are you focusing on? Well, I've got to, I get up in the morning and I've got a to-do list that is way longer than anything I can accomplish that day. Now, nobody else in the room has that, but I do. So I say to myself, on this list... What is his priority? Focus. Now, let me just stop here a moment and talk to you about distractions. The biggest distraction to focus is pleasing others. Pleasing 
family members, pleasing the boss, pleasing whatever. So here's what happens. Which one of these is going to please the most people in the best way so that my day is comfortable? Who am I trying to please? When I respond to do something and to accomplish a goal, am I trying to please myself? That's impossible. I never am satisfied with me. Am I trying to please my wife or my children or whatever? Well, I, I'd like to please them, but there are times when what pleases God doesn't please anybody else. So my first thought is, how does trusting God without faith is impossible to please God? Am I doing this to please Him? Now, why are we such people pleasers? I'm going to give you a clue this morning that's going to take us to the ministry time at the end of the service. The pain or the fear of rejection. When I was pulling out of Tim Hortons this morning with my cough, Driving down, what is the name of that road that goes by Walmart? And what is 57. See, I haven't learned the numbers. Vienna, whatever. And I'm going to Montrose, right? And God is saying, there are numbers of people that you are going to speak to this morning that I am going to deliver either from the pain or the fear of rejection. Pain is past rejection. Fear is future rejection. Some of you have been rejected by a spouse. Others have been rejected by a parent or a sibling or a relative or a child. That's called pain. It's called hurt. You will never change as long as you live with the pain or the fear of rejection. Because it means that even though God accepted you and loved you and forgave for has forgiven you, you haven't gotten over pleasing people and being rejected. It's true. And you cannot be all that God wants you to be until you change, until you let go of that ducky, until you are healed of the pain and don't have to talk about it. I went through a little period of rejection a week or so ago. And I found myself just having to talk about it and work it through. And it was the, the excuse I was using is I'm, I'm processing it. I'm working it through. No, I was being stupid. I wasn't plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit to instantly let go. I didn't have to waste one moment of God's time with my pain of rejection or my fear that I would be rejected again. 
And there's going to be an opportunity at the end of this service, after pastor gives the blessing for prayer. And I'm looking at you now by the Spirit and saying, there are a few dozen people sitting here right now that if you don't deal with either the pain of past rejection or your fear that if you please God and don't please somebody, you're going to get rejected, you'll never be free. Ever. You'll always be the adopted kid or the ex-wife, or the ex-husband, or the prodigal son, or something like that. And you don't have to be. You'll always be the victim. You'll always be the abused person because you don't want to change and let go. And you're in the presence of God this morning, and you can change. Just come. Be prayed for, pray, repent, turn around, let go, become a new person, let go of rejection. That, that, that came on the way from Tim Hortons over to here. And I'm telling you, it's a word from God for some of you this morning. Don't miss the opportunity to focus on Christ and fix your eyes on him. Let's go to the next one. Go to the next one. We just dealt with that verse. Change participates a fight. Change participates a fight. You have the armor of God. The reason you have the armor of God is so that you can pray and so that you can war. And listen, every day is a fight, especially when it's 40 degrees in the morning. And you're nice and warm and toasty. And you have to get up when it's raining and cold and walk the dogs. It's a fight to get out of bed, right? It's a fight to push away the second dessert. Sometimes you need to fight to push away the first dessert. It's a fight. It participates a fight. Go to the next slide. This is the Ephesians passage where you put on the armor of God because you are a fighter. You are focusing. You are fighting. Paul says, I've what? Fought the good fight, right? All of you are saying, how can a fight be good? Because God is at work for good in all things, including fights. And until you're in a fight, you can't have a victory. Why am I in this fight? Well, I want you to see that I can overcome anything through you, and you are going to become a victor, not a victim, but you got to fight through. It's always a fight. And the fight is always good because God is in you to win. Focus, fight. Focus is fix your eyes on Jesus, right? I have faith. I have a good fight. And now the next one is to finish. Go to, go to the next slide. I think, here we go. Change requires following through and finishing the job. Paul says, 
and I have finished the race. Right? And you have in here, I think, a passage about racing, don't you? Yes. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 26. Remember that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. And Pastor Tim has a perfect story about this, and I ask him to come and share it. Would you come share it? Thank you. All right. Yesterday, my team went to regional competition uh, for cross-country, and uh, we have uh, a young man who has been on our team all year uh, who's been our fifth runner. And in cross-country, you score five runners, and usually your fifth runner is a big part of your score because uh, he's collecting a lot of points against your score. So whatever place you get in a race, that's, that's points added to your score, and you don't want points. So if you get first place in a race, you only get one point. But if you get 50th in a race and 49 people beat you, you got 50 points. Low score wins, okay? So anyway, um, I'm going to fast forward this story because um, for... I think we've known this, this guy. He's been on our team for six years since middle school. I was coaching middle school when he was in middle school. And uh, uh, just started out his life really negative. And I've talked with him about this, so I'm not saying anything that he, he, you know, he doesn't know. Uh, but one of the most negative athletes I've ever coached in my life. And uh, I'm constantly trying to, like, hey, no, you know, just undoing the negative, speaking the positive Speaking life, speaking positive. My dad and I have been working with him and on him, we would say, for six years, okay? And about 14 months ago, and I told this story a little bit before, but I'm going to tell you the end of the story now. Uh, 14 months ago, all of a sudden, one day at practice, he was completely changed. And he's, he had a smile on his face, and he said, I love running, and I looked at him, I said, who are you, you know? Can I, coach, can, and the workout was done. We did like six miles. We did a hard workout. We did like six miles. He said, coach, can I run some more? I'm like, what? Yeah, go ahead if you want to. And he took off and he started running again. I looked at the rest of the team. I said, look at him. Can you guys believe that? And he's completely, completely different. And uh, anyway, so this year, um, he was like last year, um, maybe our number 10th runner, and then we graduated a bunch of seniors, and this year he ended up being our fifth runner, and uh, we, we had put a lot of pressure on him, and all year long we were talking to him about, you can do this, you can do this, we believe in you, and we had these goals and these times and these, we, had, we knew what we needed to do to be able to make it, you know, for us, our, our ultimate goal is to make it to the state finals, and uh, come to find out, at the very, very beginning of the season, we found out what our regional was, and we looked at our competition, and we had the hardest regional, in my opinion, in the state of Michigan. We had seven schools ranked in the top 21 schools in the state, and so to make it to the state, we would have to beat uh, four ranked teams, okay, you with me? So this is like, as a coach, I'm just like, oh, man. You know, this is, this is going to be really hard to do. So anyway, um, so yesterday we go to the meet, and uh, everybody has a job. I gave everybody a number. Everybody had to get this number in the, in the meet. And uh, this guy, he, he's been wearing a watch all the time. So on the bus ride, 
uh, talking about focus, uh, we, we said, give, give us your watch. So I told Dad, I said, Dad, we got to get that watch from him. Because all he does when he's running his race, he's running his race, I'm looking at the watch, you know, looking at the watch. I'm like, why are we looking at the watch? Who cares what time it is? You know, who cares what your time is in the race? That has nothing to do with what we're trying to do. I need you to get this number. I need you to beat people. Okay, that's the wrong focus. So uh, we call him Grandpa. Grandpa got the watch off of him. And uh, so he didn't have that distraction. So he's focused on his goal. And so the race starts, and uh, I'm running around, and I had a JV runner with me, and he's running with me. He's like, Coach, I can't hardly keep up with you. I said, I told you guys, I run as much as you do during the race because I'm, like, running around cheering my guys on, you know. So I'm out a quarter mile. I yell at him, and I see him go by, and his number was 50. His number was 50. So he goes by me at the quarter mile, and I yell, 72. That's where he was, 72, and I, I saw him go like that, 72, and he just started passing some people, and then I run to a different spot on the course about a half mile later, so they're about three-quarters of a mile, and I see him coming, and I yell at him again, 59, 59, I'm like, this is good, he's getting there, he's moving up, and really, me and my dad knew, we gave him the number 50, but uh, on paper, he was 62, that's what he was ranked, 62, but we needed him to do way better than that for us to make it. So he's at 59, and then I have to go way up this hill. I run way down across the course, and I won't see them for about a mile now. And he's, I'm waiting. I'm counting my other guys. Everyone's doing great. I'm just like hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Because when I know when he comes around this one corner, we'll know if we're going to make it or not, you know, for the most part. He comes around the corner. I couldn't believe it. I'm counting my numbers. His mom and his dad are about 100 yards from me. They're freaking out. Because as he comes by me, I'm going crazy. He's at 44. I'm like, 44! I'm like, you're doing it! You're doing it! I'm like, like hopping along with him. I'm like, keep it up. you got to keep his spot. You know, he's just running crazy. And then we're all running. So I'm sprinting down. I've got two more spots I can see him. So I come back to the other spot. And I'm yelling at his mom and dad like, he's doing it. It's, gonna, it's amazing, you know. And so then he comes around the trail. And I yell at him again, 37! 37. And I said, you got to hold on. And then there's this big hill in our race. And I wasn't there, but my dad saw it. He goes down this hill and he was like reckless abandonment down this hill. And the people who saw him said he almost wiped out. He was going so fast down the hill and banging into people. He was just going for it, which puts me into this, this one, the, the goal. You know, we eliminated that, 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 uh, distractions for him. He, his goal was on this number, and the, the fight that he had was to do something he'd never done before. He'd never run this fast before. He had never, uh, you know, he, we were telling him to do something he, he had never done before, and he went for it. And I think when we need to make these changes, you can't just uh, hope it works out. You have to be 100% committed to it. And he's ripping down that hill. He's just going for it. Reckless abandonment. And we're all going crazy. And um, he did something that, you know, he had never done before. And, but then he had to finish it. So I'm running around and I, for six different places in that race. I'm yelling encouragement at him. And we need people to encourage us in this process to finish. Because you can't, you can't just give up. You can't have a good start or a good middle. you gotta fin- you got to finish it. Get to the finish line. And so I'm running to the finish line. 
400 meters before the finish line, just giving them one more tr- pump of encouragement, you know, and yelling at them and encouraging them, getting, and all of our team is screaming, and, and, uh, and he finished it. He ended up 38th place. And, uh, because, and my son, Chase, was on the team. He, was, he had finished ahead of him, and everybody knew how important this guy was on our team. He finished, he turned around, and he was like, Whoa! You know, he was like super excited because he saw our, our fifth guy coming so soon. And actually, we made it to state yesterday. So it was an awesome story. It was really fun. But um, he, uh, and the whole day after that, we were celebrating. I was talking to his parents yesterday. I saw him again yesterday. He had a 49-second personal record yesterday, which is a huge improvement. And he's improved, I think, three or four minutes since 14 months ago. He's running 22 minutes. Yesterday, he ran 18.04 and just toasted it. But um, it was a fight all the way through the whole season. It was a fight to keep with him and him to overcome his fears, to overcome all the limits, to overcome, you know, all, all, all the stuff that he, all the doubts. And, and it's not easy, but it's worth it. It is worth it. So you've got your sheets. What the rest of the points are are self-evident because they are true. You've got them written down. You don't need to hear me teach or preach about them. Just read it. Change involves others. That's what he's talking about, other people. You know, we need each other to change. And here's what we need. We need people on the side. You know, running alongside the way you were doing, that's called prayer without ceasing, intercession continuously for others. He was interceding. He was encouraging. He was affirming. We it, Just look to all the people around you say, I need you. Just, just say that. I need you. 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 In the body of Christ, there's no such thing as a church with just one member. Jesus says, I don't even show up unless there are two or more. Right? You need others. They need us to cross the finish line. Now, you're in a race. And let's say that the race has 100 spots in it. And you're racing toward the finish line. And let's say the finish line is heaven. And let's say right now, what spot are you in that race? Are you still on 100? Or are you moving up to 70? Or are you 50? What number are you? Now, I just want you to get that number in your mind. Whatever number you're thinking about, I want you to get in your mind. I'm going to show you how your subconscious works. Who has in their mind a number lower than 50? Anybody? A few people who want false humility. That's No, just raise your hand up. I'm under 50, you know. There you go, a few of you. Anybody uh, 
of that group that just raised their hand, uh, are, are you under, is your number under 10? We got one, two, three. Listen to me. You've been believing the lie of the enemy. You're already number one. You're already number one. You are in Christ at the right hand of the Father, elevated to heavenly places. You've already won the race. Why don't you just then keep running? Because you've already won. Ah! Amen? And the ability of the enemy to make you believe that because of your past, you're not number one to God. You're not at the right hand of the Father. You're not filled with the Spirit of God reigning and ruling in heavenly places. The Holy Spirit is saying to you right now, change. So we're going to um, close our service. Would you stand with me? And uh, we're going to do a, a ministry time here after the, the blessing. And so if you're here and you're ready to just receive that freedom, that healing, and come forward for prayer, we're going to have the worship team. If you guys could do some, some music after I close us in, in, in this blessing. And then, um, and then we're going to just minister freedom and be healed from rejection and fear and pain and uh, invite you to stay as long as you need to to just experience what God wants for you today. So God is saying to us today's the day for you to experience that change, to, to make a, a, a complete turnaround in this area of your life, to experience freedom and uh, especially in the area of rejection, okay? So if you need to go, please go, but if you can stay and you're ready for that, for God to do a breakthrough in your life today, then we're going to have you just come forward. We're going to pray with you, and uh, we're going to believe God is going to do a great work in you today. Amen? Amen. Let's lift our hands towards heaven. For the blessing of the Lord, thank you, Lord. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. May he solidify in you that you are number one, right? That you have already arrived in Christ. And may this week you realize more and more who you already are in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. And we're going to turn uh, our attention now to ministry time and to worship. So if you guys would begin to.